Please turn in your New Testaments to Colossians 3, 22. Colossians 3, 22. And this is the Word of God. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. And then Colossians 4.1, Masters, Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The summer of my 16th year, I had a job that was arranged by my mother with my uncle. It was my first time to ever move from labor to management. I had been an hourly worker for many summers uh, starting at age 11. It was kind of a rite of passage in my family. For uh, the young men to have uh, hard labor uh, until they just all during their growing up years. But, but this particular year, I worked for my uncle. He was a tomato farmer, had a large farm, and he and another man had, to, had purchased a tomato packing house. So they not only grew it, they harvested it, they sent it to the packing house. It was all sorted out, all packed up and shipped all over the country and sold. And my assignment was to be the boss over a certain part of the kind of the conveyor belt, the assembly line. And my uncle took me aside and and tried to convince me just how important this assignment really was. And that conveyor belt runs fast and we got to stay on top of it. My job was to make sure all the bad tomatoes were culled out from the good tomatoes and nothing but the good were shipped on um, pride of Quincy, Florida, to the rest of the nation. Uh, maybe you've eaten some of those tomatoes. Well, I was fascinated in my first try at management uh, to see at age 16 whether the people who were under me would actually follow me. Many of them were older than me. And I tell you, it was kind of a, a shock as I got to know them. Of course, we talked, and I would come down and help, and trying to make it not look like an episode from I Love Lucy with the chocolate conveyor belt, you know, and everything going haywire. And, um, but I I tell you, it was kind of a shock and, and kind of awkward because it became very apparent that we all did not feel the same way about the tomato conveyor belt. Uh, they were not there because they loved my uncle. They were not there because they loved tomatoes. They were there to get a certain amount of pay per hour. They were there to work for the weekend. I had a different feeling about that job. I actually did love my uncle. I actually did not want to fail uh, my uncle. And so I had a much deeper and higher motivation uh, that summer in in the packing house. Now, I had been that hourly worker before, and so I wanted to be compassionate toward those folks. I wanted to be just tough enough so that they would work and just trying to find out. And if you have uh, 
never been in management. I'm going to tell you something. Management is hard. Management's hard. I found that out. In the book of Colossians, we start with this amazing view of the Lord Jesus Christ who is supreme over everything. All things hold together in Him. And we learn in His supremacy that we can trust in Him. You know, that God who holds everything together, He controls our lives and He is well in control and we can rest in Him. Then we learn of the sufficiency of His death and the total forgiveness that we have before Holy God when we put our trust in Jesus, how we become His, what a joy that is. And all in, in chapters 1 and 2, in the beginning of 3, we, we see this, this majesty of Jesus and the deep love of Christ and His grace. And then we get to chapter 3. And all of that love, all of that grace is applied to marriage first. The grace of God is supposed to come home. We're supposed to actually live this out with other people. Then it not only comes home in our marriages, we learn that we are really to act out of a relationship with Christ in our parenting. We talked about that last week. But this morning, I want us to really focus on the freedom that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our freedom before the Father, our freedom to live for Him and with Him, and how there's really no place in our lives that we can go as believers where we, if we, if we, we, if we will just continue to look to Him, we are not free. And how do we express that freedom that we have with God in a place of great responsibility. How do we do that? How does the grace of Jesus Christ come to work? To our places of vocation, our places of work. The text uses some words that, that make us feel uncomfortable. You know, you're reading along in, in this letter and then there are other places and you hear the word slaves and masters. And we're post-slavery, good thing, in this culture. And we kind of tighten up, don't, don't we? When, when we? when we hear this, well, we need to understand that the ancient world was filled with slaves. Slavery was more a part of the ancient world than, than, than you and I can wrap our, our heads around. It was estimated that in Paul's day, over half the people that you'd see in a Roman city would be slaves. Over half. Some estimates put as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, this was not chattel slavery like the sinful slavery that was practiced here in these United States of America. It was a scourge, and believers are glad, are we not, to be done with that. A lot of the slavery that we read about in New Testament times came from what's called indentured servitude. It came from somebody that for financial reasons, when you think of the ancient world, don't think of an upwardly noble society where anybody can be president or, you know, anybody can rise. No, you're kind of born in a place, in a station, in a class. You kind of stayed there. Your children were born. That's the way it was. And there were great hardships in the ancient world and, 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 and just cold, hard steel walls for people, unlike where we live and in the situation we live in today. And very often people would just be upside down financially. And what they would do is they would, 
they would strike an agreement with someone to literally sell themselves into servitude, into slavery, for a certain amount of money for a certain period of time. There was other slavery that had to do with the military conquests of, of, of other peoples. The Bible addresses slavery as a social reality. And have you ever noticed that when you read the Scriptures, it, it really describes how to walk with God in a, in a life that's real. This is the way business was done in the ancient world. And so whatever hard situation people were under, the Scriptures address how we live by faith in those difficult situations. And this is no, no exception to that. Paul's words about slaves and masters, however were radical for his time. You know, slaves were not considered people. They were considered to be human tools to get a certain job done. They did not have civil rights. And so for Paul to come in and address people in slavery and people who were masters and to elevate and bring dignity to slaves is unheard of. You will not read an ancient document that deals like this with what was going on at the time. Paul says, oh yes, they're not only people. If they know Christ, they're your brothers. They're your sisters. Slavery has long since vanished from our nation. And so... This morning, the principles that are laid down, I would like to, to aim them more at what we would call an employee-employer relationship, okay? An employee-employer relationship. And, and so let's ask the question, how, does, how is our freedom in Christ to, to love Him, to be loved by Him, to live our lives for the glory of God, how do we express that freedom in our workplace? Or are we those people that kind of have a church life and a work life? A church life and a school life. A church life and, and you name it. No, this thing is for our whole lives. Expressing that freedom really comes down to asking this question. And this is how Paul gets at it. The question is very simple. Who is your boss. Who's your boss? Employee, who is your real boss? Employer, who is your boss? In verse 22, he addresses employees, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. What, what Paul is saying is that in our vocations, in, in our lives, when, when we are at work, we are to work, if we are believers in Christ, with great diligence. We are to bring excellence and diligence to our work, and not just when the boss is watching. You see, that's the point. In fact, the, the Greek phrase here uh, literally means don't perform eye service for the boss. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, the boss is walking around. This is when you, you kind of make it look like you're working. And could I just give you a little hint? 
I think it is much more emotionally exhausting to play that game than to just work. (laughs) If you'll just work, put your heart into it, and let Jesus be your boss more than your boss is your boss, you will feel better about yourself, you will feel better about your job, and you won't have to worry when he's coming or she's coming. You don't have to worry what it looked like in all these games that we play. There's a lot of research about the workforce in America today, and there are some disturbing things that this research is is kind of surfacing. The Bible addresses these things, you see. We are to work with diligence, not just perform eye service for the boss. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it, look at these words, with all your heart. Work at it as you're working for the Lord and not for men. We don't have to fear men. Because at the end of the day, we don't work for men. We don't work for women. We work for the Lord. And you know, this transformed the vocations of people who work for other people. This transformed even people who were slaves. Who's To these first century slaves. Who is your real boss? And this person who has no civil rights says, you know what? I'm not held underwater by this person. In my heart, I know who I work for. I work for Jesus. And I bring excellence to my work. And this elevates, you see, the primary purpose of our work. Our work is for Him. It's not unlike anything else in our lives, right? Remember in the same book of Colossians, whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God. Well... I love this story of, of a guy who went out to a work site and, and there were some bricklayers out there. Have you all ever heard this story? This is a great story. And so he walks up to these bricklayers. You know, they're all building something. And he comes to the first bricklayer and he says, Hey, listen, I'm, I want to talk to you. Do you enjoy your work? And the guy says, I hate it. Oh, you do? He goes, well, why do you hate your work? He goes, well, I mean, you know, look, all I do is take this brick, put some stuff on top of it, put a brick on top. Here's another one. All day long, this is so boring. I hate my work. I wouldn't be here if I didn't need the money. So he walks down to the second brick layer and he says, okay, so how do you like your work? Tell me about your work. He says, you know, I kind of like my work. He goes, I take this brick. Watch this. Take this brick. I put a little stuff on top of it. Mortar, I think it's called. Uh, I stick the other brick on top. I, I cleaned up, but but I'll tell you why I like it. If you look down there, we're all building a wall. You see, there's some purpose in this second person. So he walks down to the third person, third brick layer, he's working just as hard. He says, uh, hey, tell me how you feel about your work. And he goes, I love what I do. I love being a brick layer. He goes, why do you love being a brick layer? He goes, look, I take a brick, I put this stuff on top. I'm bu- we're bu- look down there, we're building a wall. But you know what we're really building is a cathedral. We're building this huge church. Isn't this great? I love being a part of something with such purpose. That's what Paul is saying. And if a slave in the first century A.D. can have that kind of transforming purpose and dignity, so can we today. So can our freedom in Christ. We can remain free on the job, you see. We can express that freedom, this, this liberating 
relationship that we have with Jesus. We're not working for a boss in the final analysis. I know one time I, I had a little trouble um, with a boss and we had a little talk and, uh, and I was very respectful, very respectful. But I, I, I told my boss, I said, listen, you know, um, I want to do what you want me to do. This when I was really young. I said, I want to do what you want me to do. But in the final analysis, I really don't work for you. I work for Jesus. I told him that. I said, and what that means is, is I really want to hear from you. But you've got to be nicer to me. <laughs> and you know what? That person looked at me. And he kind of stared at me, and the most interesting thing happened. He got it. I think maybe he was thinking, that's the kind of person I want around. They actually care about this job. They actually have a higher sense than just worrying about me. Or just making sure X gets done by a certain amount of time. And he was nice to me after that. I don't recommend that you go tell your boss, I don't work for you. Uh, If you do, you better be really circumspect and, and really nice. You know, there are lots of ways to, to share Christ with people on, in the place that you work. And it's great to smile. It's great to have a good attitude. But you know what? A smile with shoddy work really isn't glorifying Jesus. I tell you, one of the best ways you can, you can witness, meaning like, kind of like a witness in a court case, you can witness to the reality of Christ in your life is just to do great work. And to be passionate about it. And, and work for the Lord and not, and not for men. Uh, yes, living with Christ as our primary boss is a wonderful thing. And I want to ask you, who is your boss? If you're an employee, who's your boss? You know, there are people right now who are employees who are so frustrated with your boss. Well, it is very transformative to think that it's not just about that person. It's really about you and how you will take the freedom that you have in Christ to bring passion to that. But I'm going to tell you something. Um, Some of the masters in the first century of these slaves, and we know this because we know the early church was composed Largely of poor people. Y'all are aware of that, right? Not many were of wealth. Not many were of noble birth. We know that the early church was populated in, in large measure by the slave class. And we know that noble noblemen of Roman uh, nobility and, and these other people came into the church and we know that they would say, and we still have the letters, look how they love one another. Look how they treat one another. And when an employer sees an employee that is absolutely transformed by the gospel, when a master sees a slave with no prospects in his life, say, I want to do this well for Christ. Just maybe that employer will say, I need to hear more about this Christ that you serve. But there is more motivation here. Look at verse 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance, big words for a slave that have nothing. You know you will receive an inheritance. 
from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Verse 25, if anyone does wrong, he will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Meaning that even in the first century, we cannot and we will not as believers play the victim card. Just because you're in a bad situation that does not excuse bad behavior. There is no favoritism. The ways of Christ, the values and, and ways of the gospel and love and respect are expected of the people that are in the most struggling place in society in the, in the first century and still today. There is no favoritism. Now, these rewards, you know... You're, you're going to have an inheritance? It's going to be a reward? What are these rewards that Paul is talking about? I'm going to be honest with you. We don't really know. This is kind of one of those things we're going to... I'm going to teach it without being ex- able to explain everything that's about it. Some of the rewards may be in this life. It doesn't really say. But the word inheritance there, an inheritance for people who have nothing, is an incredibly uplifting sentence that Paul is speaking to downtrodden people, meaning that there will be heavenly rewards given. And did you notice? It says, and people who do wrong will be repaid for their wrong, for there is no favoritism. Now, I know what you're thinking, maybe. I don't know what you're thinking, but maybe you're thinking this. I thought this thing was by grace. Well, this, these rewards are really not about whether you go to, to heaven or hell. Um, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10, there is a judgment that believers face, this judgment seat known as the Bema judgment for rewards. It's mysterious. It's going to happen. Um, all I can say is it evidently means something because it is a motivation for people to glorify Jesus in the way they act toward their employer. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for things done in the body, whether good or bad. So this is not whether we go to heaven or hell. This is about what, what, and Jesus talked about heavenly reward, lots of places, heavenly rewards. They are meaningful. They are not our primary motivation for life, but there is some meaning there. But you know, we're Americans. We kind of have everything. So heavenly reward, heavenly reward, you know. We already got everything in this world. But if you're a slave in the first century, this does not hit your ears the way it hits 21st century American ears. This is... I'll never have anything in this life. But God Himself is going to give me an inheritance in the next life. And I'm going to glorify Him in this life, you see. Paul is saying that in Christ, they have everything, even though they have nothing. You believe that? That's still true today regardless of what you have or think you have. Because a lot of things you think you have really don't have the meaning that you need for your life. In Christ, we do have everything. So how 
Is your relationship with Christ applied at your work? Who is your boss? You don't change into a different person at the door of your workplace, right? How do you express this freedom before the Lord into freely being able to work in your job for the right reasons, for the right person, to His glory and remain free? Second, employers. We've got a lot of people in management here as well. We've even got some owners here. I'm going to be hardest on the owners, I think. Um, Employees, excuse me, employers, who's your boss? Now, that's a great question. You know, employees, we know who their boss is, their manager, right? Employers, that's not quite as clear who your boss is. Colossians 4 and verse 1, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. Employers have responsibility under the lordship of Christ to their employees to provide with them what is right according to the scriptures and what is equitable or what is fair. Who is your boss? Well, let me tell you something. The answer is, nobody. I own the company. Wrong answer. Nobody. I am the president. Wrong answer. Jesus. Same answer. You see, we're going to bow before the same God, whether we're a slave or a master in the first century, an employee or an employer in the 21st century. Verse 4, because you know, employers that you also have a master who is in heaven. I love this this quote by Matthew Henry, who was a Puritan, pre-Industrial Revolution, maybe a little bit more. Industrial Revolution kind of made people more into numbers, and that's the assembly lines, and some of the conditions were bad. This would be in more the colonial times, when it would be a little bit more personal in the way work was done. But I love what he says. He says to to employers, be faithful to your promises you've made to them. Keep your agreements. Pay them faithfully. Keep listening to me. Require no more of them than they are able to perform. Not saying you can't challenge them up a little bit. Do not lay unreasonable burdens on them provide for them what is right and i particularly like this last sentence allow them liberties that will help them better and more cheerfully do their work you see what it's saying is is we need a place that christ would be proud of that king jesus would be proud we want to treat people like we would want to be treated we want to treat people the way christ treats us And how does Christ treat us? He is the absolute monarch over the whole universe. Yes? He treats us with humility. He treats us with service. Not only is He fair, not only is He loving, but He gives us those liberties. He he helps us see our dignity so that we can use our gifts in His kingdom. It's not all just some punch list. It's not all just being born down. In fact, 
Christ. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And, and, and look, if you're an employer, not only do you need to be fair and you need to be right, but you need to give your people some freedom so that in their sense of dignity, they can bring their creativity to what you're doing. Turn it loose, you see. The best thing you have, if you're an employer, the best thing you have is your people. And when your people buy in because it's fair, and when your people are able to bring their own creativity to your organization, it is a beautiful thing. Let me tell you something. This was radical stuff for the first century A.D. where people were pretty much stuck where they were in life and they just had to take it and take it and take it. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't dish it out just because people have to take it. You bring it with humility, love, service, and fairness and provide for these people. It is not your job, managers, employers, owners, it is not your job to crack the whip to get work out of people. It is your job to serve those people so they can best serve your organization. Can I say that again? You don't crack the whip if you're a believer. You serve them so they can buy in and grow and serve with their own dignity and their own creativity as people. People. And serve your organization well. You know, it's really fascinating. If you go back to employees, remember what, what, what Paul's saying is, man, let's have diligence. Let's bring excellence to this thing. You know, this thing called classic Christianity, it's not only true, but it's just the way things work. One of the ways you will be promoted in your work is when you bring excellence and have a great attitude. It's funny how this classic Christianity thing just kind of really is the best way, isn't it? It's funny how this classic Christianity thing about owners and, and, and managers and employers... It's, it's real interesting how this works because if you provide a, a respectful place to work, a place where there's not filled with fear of you, a place where there's creativity, your people not only are going to want to do the job, hear me, they're going to want to stay with you. That's when somebody else down the street offers them $1,120 more and they don't leave you because they want to be with you. This classic Christianity thing is pretty amazing, isn't it? Living out the gospel at work. This is a radical idea in that age. This is a radical idea in our age. I said there have been lots of studies on the workforce. we got a lot of people bored at work these days. we got people frittering away time at work in ways that we never have. we got people that aren't focused. Number one, employees. That's not the way we work, right? Number two, employer, employers. We, we need to probably motivate those people in a more Christ-like fashion. This is not the Industrial Revolution. Men are not numbers. It's not just about widgets being made, and it's not just about profit. From the widgets. Hey, bosses. Who's your boss? 
That's what God wants to know in this passage. Who's your boss? It is your Christian duty to deal with your employees as people in such a way that the Lord is pleased with you and in such a way that you would like to be dealt with. And they just will work better. You know, I've seen both sides of this. I've seen the laborer side of it. I've seen the manager side going all the way back to age 11 and then becoming a manager at at age 16. And I have seen the lack of motivation of people. I have seen higher motivation in people. And I'm going to tell you, it's not just what you get out of it. It is not just about the work. This is about a new life that we have. It is about the freedom that we have with God and we don't change at work. This new dynamic of how we treat people is the gospel of Jesus Christ being lived out at work. I'd like to finish by quoting to you from Ray Ortland Jr. He talks about how sometimes people really want to just think about themselves and their advancement, or on the employer side, themselves and what they can get out of people so they can look better. It's kind of the the idol of, of, of working for me. Ray Orland Jr. says, The gospel is not God's way of giving us an even better self-improvement goal. The gospel is actually God's judgment on our better selves and the replacement of all of it with Jesus. That's idolatry. That's nothing God wants to bless. It is a judgment on what we consider our better selves, our best life now, and the fact that He wants to replace it with Christ. Be who you are in Christ first. Then apply that to your work. Work out of the grace of God. He goes on to say, Every one of of us thinks deep in our heart, if we could only do blank, or if, or be blank, then I would arrive. He asks the question, so what does this arrival really look like? If it isn't Jesus, if it isn't the risen Lord Himself, every arrival that you achieve will only be yet another personal setback. God's gift to you is Jesus. With Jesus, we are saved. Everything is going to be okay. And he goes on to say this, forsake, boy, this is so needed, forsake all fraudulent success. Make your relationship with Christ your goal, your arrival, your identity, your comfort, your okayness, and He will gladly give Himself to you and always on the terms of grace. But reach for anything else, and it will turn into the opposite of grace, and it will betray you. This is how the grace of God comes to work. Our freedom to love Jesus and other people appropriately in different spheres of life is not stopped by the front gates of where we work. Who is your boss? Think about that. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you are Lord over all. And we need you for all that you've done out of your supremacy. And you give us that security because you are Lord over all. Out of that sufficiency that we learn about in Colossians. And indeed we find that you are sufficient. And, and you call us to different spheres of life and, and work. Vocation is one of those spheres. Father, would you help the employees here to to rise above the issues and the struggles of working for the wrong person? Would you liberate them to work for you and to consider it worship and to find purpose and meaning in their work? Lord, where it is untenable, would you lead them to another place of Father, would you be with our employers? Would you remind them of the humanity of their employees that is no different than their own? Would you cause the managers and employers here to address people with dignity, to be fair and equitable, and to provide a place where those folks' creativity as you have given them, particularly for those who really want to serve you, can be unleashed. And a relationship between employee and employer can be united at the foot of the cross. And, O Lord, lastly we pray that there would be employers, one to Christ, because of how stupefied they become as they see this transformative work of Jesus in the life of employees. And Lord, may there be employees that come to Christ because they just can't get over the graciousness and the gracious leadership of their employers. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.